Hello everyone and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Aaron LeBauer with us. Aaron is a PT and DPT and is the host of the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. He's also the author of the Cash PT Blueprint, founder of the Cash PT Nation Facebook group, international speaker, and as a business coach and mentor has helped thousands of passionate physical therapists build successful businesses without relying on insurance. He owns LaBauer Physical Therapy in Greensboro, North Carolina, a multi-therapist, 100% cash-based physical therapy practice. Aaron's personal mission is to save hundreds of millions of people worldwide from unnecessary surgery by inspiring other healthcare providers to start their own businesses and learn how to market directly to their patients, not physicians. Aaron, thanks for coming on. Hey, JT, thanks for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and honestly, I'm super grateful to have you on. Um, we were able to get in kind of in contact with a previous um, guest of the podcast, Jess, and she had high praise of you. And I'm really be able to excited to talk to you about a little bit of your story and obviously all of the accomplishments that you've had throughout your career and especially the cash-based side of physical therapy. It's something that is continuing to gain momentum kind of, I think, as, as a profession has advanced. And I'd love to be able to talk to you more on that and kind of how you've gotten your niche in that, in that setting as well. Sounds great. Perfect. Well, would you be able to go ahead and kind of start off by introducing yourself to the audience and give a little background of yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Dr. Aaron LeBauer. I'm a Sagittarius, and uh, that's kind of a joke. But <laughs> I am. I was born uh, 48 years ago yesterday. There we um, go. Happy late birthday. So, thank you very much. Before I was a PT, I was also I'm a massage therapist, and before that, I wanted to race bicycles and uh, be a professional cyclist. Um, I went to went to college thinking I'd do pre med. And then I showed up for the first day of organic chemistry and realized it was going to take me four hours to do a review of, you know, what I just got an A in. And I was like, I'm not spending my life doing, doing this, uh, just to be a physician. Um, so, uh, I just finished out school, had a great time, uh, but didn't really know what I wanted to be because when you go to Duke, you're either become a physician, a lawyer, or a work in management consulting of some sort. And everyone else kind of gets, you know, left to their own devices. Um, I moved out to California, became a bike messenger, a temp, and did a bunch of different things and realized that uh, massage therapy was something that was um, had been helpful for me in the past and it was something I could do uh, to see people, use my hands, help people feel better in their bodies, um, but also give me enough money and time to race bicycles. And I did that. Um, but people used to say to me, they'd come to me and say, hey, Aaron, you're the first person to touch me where I hurt. I've been to see every physical therapist, the chiropractors, acupuncturists, physicians, surgeons, and no one's been able to touch me, you know, where I hurt. And like, we're talking about like their VMO, you know, their trap, you know, rotator cuff, like no one's like touched these places. I was like, okay. My wife encouraged me to go to PT school because basically what's happening is people were getting better, but they, they weren't hundred percent better. They were like, Oh my gosh, you know where it is now. When is this going to end? Like as a massage therapist, I'm not trained to give a prognosis. I was trained to do hands-on therapy, um, and get people to come back in. So I went to PT school 
uh, on my first clinical rotation, I saw 43 patients one day. Um, and that was the day I really decided that, um, I needed to do something different. I couldn't just go get a job as a physical therapist because I was already making $85 an hour as a massage therapist. And now I'm going to go get a job and make 40 to 50 and not be able to see my patients, uh, within the amount of time that I knew as a massage therapist that they needed and that was missing. Um, you know, the other thing that happened was, uh, they confirmed this was when my professor said patients only need 30 to 45 seconds of hands-on care. And I'm sitting there going, well, I'm an adult student. And I, I, I raised my hand right away. I, I disagreed with her because I had built a career as a massage therapist of people saying I went to PT and it didn't help because they didn't touch me. They didn't listen to me. They didn't sit down and talk to me about what was going on. And here I am Aaron, the massage therapist, not trained in evaluations or you know, dry needling, SFMA, anything like that. And I'm actually able to help these people that fell through the cracks. Um, so I knew that I had to do something different. Um, and so I did. And then I, since then people asked me, how did they do it? And I started a coaching business and here we are. That's, that the is, short, that's the shortest version of the story. Hey, that <laughs> was, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. And yeah, honestly, like yeah. the big thing that stuck out to me is we get into this profession because we want to help people want to get hands on. And yeah, like, Yes, obviously exercise and those things are going to be beneficial, but to be able to help them along the process. And, and like you said, you had those, those manual skills. I think that's so valuable in, in our field. And like you said, giving that quality time, I think that's something that's so important in the realm of PT because yeah. be able to be able to have people feel, feel heard and, and build that rapport is so, so valuable in the process. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to know, how did you come about hearing on cash-based practices um, and why did you decide to open that? Obviously you wanted to have that quality time, I think is one of the big components, but how did you stumble across that and decide that's what you wanted to focus on? Yeah, well, I think, so I knew the problem for me was that if I went to work to, for the hospital, I'd make X and I was like, but I, I can make more seeing the people I'm already seeing. Okay, and I can't treat them the way I wanna treat them because no one's gonna pay me to treat my patients at the time, it was uh, one at a time for an hour. And I'm not saying that everyone needs one-on-one -on -one for an hour, but there's a lot of people that need some aspect of one-on-one -on -one treatment and care uh, for more than 15, 20 minutes um, because they're just, they just have that. They just have those um, dysfunctions and impairments. that They need more of a deep dive than they're getting anywhere else. So, um, but prior to going to PT school, I had been studying uh, advanced like hands-on therapy, uh, Mafash release trainings with uh, specifically with John Barnes, and I was exposed to other people who were not only massage therapists, but half of them are PTs and OTs. Who, not all of them, but some of the people had their own practice. They were successful. They were charging as much or more than I was charging doing massage therapy, and they were PTs and OTs. And I'm sitting here going, well okay, I can't do it this way. No one's really going to hire me to do the way I want to do it. I'm already charging $85 an hour. What if I just charge an extra $10 an hour because I'm Dr. LeBauer? And when I told my CIs and supervisors this, they're like, no one's going to pay more than a copay for PT. And at the time, the copays were like 20 to $50. And I was like, I, was like, I, I hear you, but just watch. Um, we charged much more than that. And I wouldn't recommend anyone charge anything less than $100 at all for PT, unless you're doing like a short visit. Um, but that was the start. It was just like, uh, you know, no one's going to hire me to do what I want to do. So I'm not even going to go apply. And I just had to go do it uh, and do something on my own. Wow. So just right out of PT school, you decided to open up your own cash-based practice. Yep. Yep. I graduated in December. Um, got my license in the beginning of February and the next, 
before that I had my LLC and everything set up. I just, as soon as uh, I was licensed, I could practice PT. That is awesome. So yeah, I, I kind of wanted to dive into that. So what were some of those big obstacles early on in that process of, okay, I'm in like, obviously you already had the kind of the business background, everything mm-hmm. with the massage, but kind of, or some of the obstacles in the realm of PT. Um, not having a mentor who was a PT who believed in what I was trying to do. Gotcha. You know, nothing in the profession was able to, uh, guide me. I mean, I went through the private practice session. I mean, I hate saying like that they didn't serve me, but they didn't, they, they weren't built to serve, uh, businesses like the ones that I've built. Um, I got the manual on private practice and it told you how to get contracts with, uh, insurance companies and how to get referrals from doctors. I'm like, but I'm a doctor. Why am I going to get a referral from another doctor? Um, should, you know, I'm a primary care physical therapist. People should come see me first. That's what I was taught in school. That's what the APTA preaches. Why weren't they teaching that? So I had to go uh, and find mentors outside of physical therapy. So that was the biggest struggle is who do I find and where do I go? And my clinical instructors were helpful, but they weren't doing this type of, um, you know, like this type of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other one was I went and tried to get a mentor, you know, through like the find a mentor in private practice. And the first person I called said it would be a conflict of interest for me to help you. Um, I was like, okay, but you live in the next town over and you have an insurance-based practice. You know, I'm starting a cash practice. It's still a conflict of interest. It's just a scarcity mindset. So that was obstacle number one is like the profession I joined, uh, didn't have the resources to help me create a, a business or a career, uh, serving the patients that I knew needed my help. Um, obstacle number two was I'm not taking insurance, right? So the physicians that, uh, that I thought I had to go market to, you know, because that's what everyone told you you had to do, you know, told me, well, if you only took people's insurance, we'd send you patients. But how can you like just base your recommendation on insurance and not what the patients need? Mm -hmm. So that's a huge obstacle for me. I think it's an ethical uh, question we have to ask ourselves and most people just ignore it because what this physician was saying was, his patient's well-being isn't as important as whether um, it's paid for or not by their insurance company. And he's a well-respected person here in town. But he's not the only person that says that or acts that way. And I think as a profession, we do that a lot ourselves. Um, we'll recommend a certain number of visits based on what insurance pays, not based on what we think um, our patients need. So that was another obstacle. Um, you want more? I mean, those are the biggest ones. And yeah. How do I get patients to pay me $95 an hour or $250 an hour for PT? Mm-hmm. And um, when they can get it down the street for free. It's not yeah. free. They just don't pay it now. They, they paid it monthly and they pay it later. It's mm-hmm. not free. They just think it is. So the way you overcome that one is not marketing physical therapy. We have to market uh the solution and the transformation that patients want. We basically have to sell the plan of care and not physical therapy because physical therapy is not a modality. It's a profession, a thinking, uh, decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And like, yeah, I, I'd say that's really challenging to have to go into something and you have the, the goal and the plan, but to not have a mentor is, is definitely, I'm sure it was a really challenging process. And I'm sure there's a lot of bumps along the, uh, along the way, but a lot of growing. And now you have that experience to be able to share with others, obviously, to be able to help others because you've been there and and know what it's like. And so what were some of the, I guess, what were some of those things that you found with it that, okay, like marketing component, I guess something that comes to my mind when we talk about this, like you said, how do we build that plan of care so that they are, Hey, like I want to choose this over 
a copay, those type of things. Cause yeah, I think the general like population can think, Oh, I'll just use my insurance because that's what it's for. But sometimes we can provide a better quality care, but they're going to have to weigh the pros and the cons. What are some of those things that you've learned along the way? Yeah. I think the biggest, um, the biggest thing is, uh, there's, there's two pieces that come to mind. Number one, it's using direct to patient marketing. We have to market directly to our patients and they're not a body part and they're not a, uh, injury and they're not a modality we don't sell modalities. Um, we have to market to people's um, needs, wants, and desires, and we have to identify them. So that's the marketing part. The marketing is easy. I mean, once you get it, if you once you decide you want to get it, what's really hard for people, especially in our profession, is the sales aspect of it. Marketing stops as soon as I start to try to get someone to enroll into my program. And as soon as we start to talk money, everyone gets scared, and uh, they have a bad relationship with money, and they don't want to ask for money from patients. And so how do we get people to enroll? Even even people who own insurance-based uh, clinics that I work with have a really hard part with this. I'm like, but the good news is insurance covers 70% of the cost. So, like, what's the problem? It's like they don't want to ask for people. They don't want to put people out um, for the extra amount. I mean, some PTs waive copays, which is illegal. And I know, I don't know who they are anymore, but I know people have had dozens of people tell me, oh, that we just waived the copay. I'm like, you can't waive a copay. Um, so I think the hardest part about this is the sales part, and it's not the sales strategies. It's the mindset you have to understand that as physical therapists, if I know I can help you, it's my ethical obligation to learn how to sell physical therapy. Yeah, and I guess why do you think that's such a struggle in the realm of PT? That like Obviously, we're here to help people, but why do you think we struggle with trying to sell? Because in the end, we're trying to get them better and help them. And that's one of the components. Why do you think we struggle so much in the profession like that? Because we got into healthcare to help people and not to talk money. And as soon as we put money in the equation, it creates a uh, divide amongst who we think can access our services or not. Gotcha. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but it's not it's not people. The only people that come to us aren't the people who drive BMWs and Mercedes and you know, have five houses, <laughs> you know, they're, you know, sometimes people that make the most money are the ones that want to spend the least. They have some of the best health insurance. They're like, I, you know, more, you know, uh, what they call it. Uh, it, it's more of a, um, I, I deserve to use, get my insurance benefits. Um, people come to us from all walks of life. Um, it's the people who value their health and our, and their participation in their own healing journey. Um, but as soon as we start putting a dollar amount on health, we start to create a divide, I think, in our minds and in who we think, like not, not who we know, but who we think is going to be able to access our services. And then I think people just get scared. They're like, well, I'm going to put someone out by asking for money for this, you know, and it's, um, it's tough, but it's, you know, I mean, we all have to eat, we have to work, we have to put food on the table, we have to send our kids places we should get um, compensated for our time and knowledge and skill um, but not just our time you know it, we should be um, compensated for our ability to um, do critical thinking and insurance yeah. doesn't pay for a critical thinking insurance pays for um, what's it called uh, interventions it's a big yeah. word for me <laughs> yeah and honestly like as, as you're speaking like, what comes to my mind and can you we said is like we think you know like we kind of keep that we have that divide of people who we think would be like who would want that or who wouldn't and honestly i'm at my clinical rotation right now and we actually have a decent amount of cash pay like patients that come in and i've realized like yeah these are people that by no means are are like you kind of would guess would be the oh this is a typical cash based 
client. It's just someone that really values their health, values mm-hmm. their quality of living, wants to get better, knows that they can get great results from coming here. And so they're willing to, to pay that extra because they're willing to put like that time and money and effort into right. that compared to other things. And I think that that's been a great eye-opening experience for me because, yeah, I think sometimes we do think, oh, you're only going to be able to serve this type of population with a cash-based, but we like I ought to be able to experience that firsthand. That's not the case. Yeah, but what we're also doing is when we're thinking like that, we're lying to ourselves in that we're not even considering what the patients are actually paying, mm-hmm. right? We don't even know. People, a lot of therapists don't know what the actual cost of their services are or what's being billed for their time. There are hospitals and private. I mean, there's a lot of the you know outpatient clinics bill more than what we charge. They just don't get to collect it all. But who's ultimately responsible for that amount? The patient ends up being responsible for it. The clinic owners don't always do the balance billing, or they will take a reduced fee. But uh, I have actual proof of um, $1,000 units for physical therapy. Wow. Over $1,000 per 15-minute intervention. You know, so it's just because it's cash doesn't mean it's expensive. Yeah. I agree. And I, I wonder, uh, like when you say a thousand dollar, I'm like, what kind of interview, like, what are you doing in that 15 minutes to set that therapeutic exercise and yeah. evaluation and maybe a manual therapy code? Yeah. That's a three. That's a, that, so it was a, it was a $2,200 visit for 30 minutes, two 15 minute treatment codes. Wow. I've got another one that was like 600 and $650 for a treatment code. And that person was like, I'm not going back there. I'm coming to see you. Wow. Yeah. That, that's crazy. That's just like, honestly, just like very eye opening. Like, and so I guess, yeah, I guess what are some of the, uh, another question I wanted to get into are what are some of the common myths when opening a cash-based practice? We've kind of already kind of delved into them a little bit, but what are some of those myths that you help people that reach out to you say, Hey, I want to be able to do this, like what you're doing. What are some of those myths that you have to help people overcome? That, uh, they can't be successful. You know, it's not really a myth. Like, this is what I'm seeing. Like, we could talk about the myth that patients won't pay or that people won't refer. People won't refer to you if they don't believe in you and um, your business model. But it's the myth that we all have that uh, success should come easy to me or that I don't have to work for it or someone else should do it for me. It's, um, it's po- or that just cash-based PT won't work. I mean, cash-based PT will work. It's, it's like, there's no longer a question. The question is whether you want it to work for you. You want it bad enough to make it work for you because business isn't easy. And just because I've done something one way doesn't mean it's going to work um, with you. You have to adapt it and modify it. And uh, you have to be willing to um, struggle. Yeah, the second myth would be that it has to be perfect. That what I do, my website has to be done before I launch it. That uh, my business plan has to be perfect. That everything has to be perfect. Like in grad school, yeah, you're driven to get an A, but in business, um, the drive to get an A is going to kill your business and keep you from success. And that's why I say 80% is good enough. You know, in business, you just need to get it done and make it the minimum viable product. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely feel like that's a mindset that I feel a lot of people on the podcast have shared that like they prepare to succeed instead of like, what happens if I fail? What happens if it doesn't go Mm -hmm. right? Like to have that mindset shift. I think that's a hard one to really to to have but once you have it and so many people that i've had on the podcast i think that's one of the underlying keys of success that they talk about is that they they have that mindset they're going to succeed they're not going to prepare to fail like oh what happens if it goes south like they're going to that survival mode of i'm going to make this work i don't know how but i have that drive to and i I really love that comment right there yeah great thank you yeah um 
And so also like you have the, you're a business coach and help PTs enter the, the field of private practice um, with the cash base settings. What are some of those areas of weakness that PTs have kind of entering? Because when you said it like right off the bat, when you said, oh, I entered cash pay right off the bat of graduation. To me personally, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I trust in my ability or my skills as much as I as I should. What are some, like, do you find that pretty common in the realm of PT or, or what are some of the things that you find in that sense? I think that uh, older PTs and professors and CIs are telling newer PTs that they're not good enough and that they shouldn't do it. And they do that way too much. Um, that's a scarcity mindset. Um, you know, just because you wouldn't do it or didn't do it doesn't mean someone else shouldn't or couldn't. Should all new grads open a private practice? No, because not all physical therapists should open a private practice. But are there new grads out there that have the uh, capability, confidence, and drive to open a private practice right away? Yes, and they shouldn't be discouraged from doing it. People make blanket statements about new grads should have five years of experience or, oh, Aaron, well, you were already a massage therapist. Well, I've got dozens of new grad PTs who weren't massage therapists before they went to PT school, who weren't personal trainers before they went to PT school, who came out, they are competent physical therapists. Like we're trusting them with our patients working for me. Like, why can't they do that on their own? Like what's so magical about the 10 year experienced PT who practices right next to them and doesn't talk to them all day long, making that a safer environment. Um, people, uh, should be able to open a private practice if it's something they want to do right out of school and they should be able to do it 10, 20 years in. Yeah. I, I like that. And I guess what are some of the, so what are some of the keys that you'd say, okay, someone is interested in that someone wants to get into the cash based setting. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, Hey, these are some of the founding or foundational blocks to really to prepare for or have in place if you have that desire to. Yeah. Um, you mean like to start a business or. Um, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, it's going to open up like, to, Hey, I want to open up my own practice. Like we said, some people have that desire, but they may have that, that scarcity mindset or, or be afraid. What are some of those things that you'd find foundational? Yeah. Well, I mean, you need a, uh, business license, you need liability insurance, you need a patient, you need a way to take payment. Um, but you also need, so those are like the tactical things. Um, and maybe you need a way to schedule people and you need a place to treat them, but then you also need a plan. Uh, you really should have a mentor or a coach. Uh, you should be around people that are going to support you and help you grow. Um, because if you're just in a sea of people that, uh, don't think you're going to succeed, it's going to be much harder. I mean, it's why it took me five years, uh, to get to a point that it's taken one of, uh, one of my cash PT residents, it took him eight months. So it took, actually it took Derek eight months to generate $15,000 a month in his business. It took me, so in order for me to do that, it took me uh, two and a half years, right? Um, so we've time compressed, but it took me five years to hire someone. He did it uh, within 12 months. Um, ben Baggy uh, is, went to PT school, graduated, created a six-figure practice. Like his first year, he was at six figures. He was at 22,000 a month, eight months out of PT school. Um, then we started uh, in our Platinum Mastermind, and uh, six months later, it's 65000 a month. Now he's doing a million a year. Three cash practices, two and a half years out of PT school. I mean, it's, so what's the trick? What's the foundational piece is the having the belief, having the tools, and getting help. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think get, getting help is a huge thing. Like, to be able to surround yourself, what you said, with a community that has that same belief, that same drive, mm -hmm. is so beneficial to be able to help you. And yeah, that's just like, those are amazing stories right there. Like, I guess what, what is, 
one of the big moments where you're like, now this is why I love being able to help people out. Do you have a certain like story that comes to mind? Yeah. Um, I just think it's like, you know, to, to tell someone, Hey, you know, like do this <laughs> and then they go do it and then they go and make 40,000 in a week or 10,000 with an email or 5,000 with an email or, you know, they like, Hey, I closed three paid and full planner cares this week. Aaron, my life has changed. Like, I mean, those things make it worth it to me. It's, I love doing what I'm doing and I love like the fact that I can recommend something to someone and they're like, it worked. And I'm like, wow, it worked even better than I expected. You know, I think that's one of the most amazing things, but it's not just the fact that something I said work, it's the way that they shared it with me, the context and content and tone that they use, like, holy cow, like basically I'm, I'm free now. Like I, I was just on a call with a client yesterday and after six months, she's making like what, $8,000 a month for three months. Uh, for the last three months, she's making double what she made in her last job you know, working, uh, she's working hard, but she's not treating nearly as many patients. And, um, those are the things that, uh, really make a difference. Um, but one of the things that drives me is the fact that a couple of people told me I, I couldn't do it and I shouldn't do it and it was unethical and, uh, you'll never succeed. Yeah, that definitely provides an ad added motivation for sure to be able to boost that. And, that, and that's super cool to, to see like, you provide people with those tools and resources and then see them apply it and use it yeah. and have such success. Like Jess on the podcast, she was saying like how, how grateful she is and, and the thing that she's learned in, in her and her own career and everything and, and being able to have those skills that you've given her to have that. I think that's such a, a gratifying and fulfilling thing to, to know that you're helping the PTs, but then in, in turn, they're helping so many other hundreds of thousands of patients as well because of those skills that you're given. Yeah. And I, I mean, I always tell people like, what I, I don't want you to do is just replicate what I do. I want you to, I want you to take what I've done, which is, you know, like shorten your learning curve. So you don't have to spend the same time figuring it out yourself. I mean, cause you are smart, you can figure it out yourself, but if you just take what I did and you shorten the time, then you can go make it better. Like I, I'm not saying my thing is the best. I want you to take what works because we know it can get you from point A to point B, but then go make it better. So don't reinvent sliced bread, figure out how to put peanut butter and jelly on it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. And yeah. I think that's such an important thing to like, to not just replicate, but to know how to innovate it and make it better and improve. Right. I think that's a constant progression in our field. Um, yeah, I guess kind of what for you, what is the outlook of PT? Cause this is something that is interesting to me to talk about, like obviously reimbursement rates are constantly going down. Do you feel there's going to be continue to be a growth in cash-based PT or kind of what do you see the outlook or the landscape of PT in, in the future? Yeah, I, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a slow burn right now. You know, it's just the same burn, like, I don't know, as long as I've been in the field for 12 plus years, uh, reimbursement rates are going down. Uh, cost of education is going up. Salaries can't go up as fast as people want them to. You know, if, if I'm only being paid X amount per hour, I can only raise salaries to a certain level. So, um, so when we're talking about insurance, uh, insurance-based clinics aren't gonna be able to offer a competitive salary soon. Um, right now they can, you know, because they're based on volume, but at some point it's just gonna get lower and lower and lower. And will there be a crash? Maybe, but I think that um, the cash-based practice isn't the only or the answer. 
Um, because you don't want to just build a job for yourself because when you go on vacation or you go to, let's say you want to go to CSM or the PPS and you got to go there for a week and you don't have patience, you don't have income. So I think really the future of PT is not only is it uh, direct uh, to patient um, payments and contracting, which is what cash-based physical therapy is. Um, it's creating more than just one-to-one -one and time for money services. It's creating services and businesses that free you from time for money, but also help uh, one-to-many. So whether that's online coaching, um, one like one-to-many like classes, uh, online courses, um, something like that, where we are helping more people because hardly anyone gets PT when their back hurts. Everyone's going to take an Advil or go want some opioids because, you know, when you watch it, who's it, Jason Statham and The Rock, and whenever they hurt, they just crunch down some opioids like they're like candy, Smarties or something like that. I think the future is that we have to, if we want to actually make money in the profession and help a massive amount of people, we have to leverage our time and our knowledge um, using systems, software, people. Gotcha. Yeah. And something that too, that kind of came to mind as you were speaking. So we're going to obviously use those things. Another one that I kind of want to shift to and ask a question on is with cash-based physical therapy, you have a multi multi-therapist at your location. Uh, how does that all work? How does that like managing, managing all of them? And like, how does that, how do you manage that kind of a, of a setting? That's pretty unique in my mind. I, I haven't heard of it too many times. Yeah. How does that all work? You mean like in how do I manage the team and keep them motivated or how do we do it with, with in a cash practice setting? Uh, a combination of both. Like how do you have that team motivated? Because are they, are they their own, obviously their like own boss in a sense, or do they all work together? Like how does that all exactly work? Kind of that's, I think a unique setting oh, yeah. comparatively. Yeah. They're not their own boss. They're employees. Okay. Like I'm the, I'm the boss. Gotcha. You know, but I don't run around like the, uh, the boss. There's a, I think there's a meme or something. There's like a boss uh, leads from the back you know, like whipping the people pulling, I think it was like a Pharaoh Ramses type of thing where he's whipping uh -huh. everyone pulling the big rock, but a leader leads from the front. Gotcha. You know? And what is leading from the front mean? It means I'm not gonna ask you to do anything that I wouldn't be willing to do myself or haven't done in the past. Um, I'm gonna lead from the front and I'm gonna be there. And so I think that's a big part of it. Our employees, hopefully, but I'm pretty sure they are, uh, they're bought into our mission and vision and what we want. Um, and that's what motivates them. They also have great jobs where they have freedom and flexibility. I'm not a, I don't want to be a breathe over your shoulder type of boss. I want to mm -hmm. say, Hey, do this and give you some control over, um, over, over your decisions and choices. Like I will never reprimand someone for getting them someone better in less than like the prescribed plan of care. Um, yeah. one of my employees at his prior job was reprimanded for getting a patient better in three or four visits wow. you know, because the plan of care was, uh, or the prescription from the physicians, he was in a physician owned surgical practice was the prescription was twice a week for eight weeks or something like that. And he's like, after four visits, the person was better. And the manager was like, yeah, but you didn't bill all the units and you do that again. And you're going to get an official reprimand. It's like, excuse me, what? Yeah. Um, so you know, but leading a team is one of the hardest parts about owning a business because um, you have to motivate them. You have to tell them uh, and you have to share with them like reality of the situation, especially like when during COVID things weren't great. You know, yeah. I was like, OK, this is a reality situation. But, you you know, there were a couple of missteps I made where I kind of demotivated my team. But I had to let them know, like, if you don't work hard and hustle, like the business isn't going to be here to keep you a job and yeah. how, you know, I'd never had to have those conversations, but, um, 
that's part of it. It's part of it's being willing to uh, make mistakes and admit them and course correct. The other part of it is, um, I think, giving, you know, recognizing the people that work for me, they're not children. Mm-hmm. I've worked many jobs where I was treated like a child, even though I was an adult. It's ridiculous. Um, but I think that comes from ego as well. And that comes from people not knowing how, um, like maybe not having experience leading or, or thinking that, you know, in order to lead, you have to tell rather than empower people. Yeah. Like when you were saying early on about the leadership and like the different types of leaders, like I remember hearing it as like a shepherd and a sheep herder. And like, I I like that example of like, like in the East, they have like shepherds and like they have them kind of like, they'll lead the flocks and like, they know them all by name and it's very intimate and kind of, they know each one and kind of the Western society has like sheep herders where you'll have like them kind of in the rear with the dogs and the dogs are like yipping and like barking at the, the, at like the sheep to be able to kind of keep Mm -hmm. them all in, in line. And I just, I like that analogy. And it really stuck with me that like, as a leader, you want to be that shepherd to be able to really be aware of the needs and know them. And they know you, they, they know your voice and are able to yeah. be aware of that. And so I think that's such an important thing as well in, in the business side of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just telling at our team meeting before, I think uh, one of our new employees was like, well, Aaron, when you shared that, it allowed me to ask a question. What I shared was, I was taking the jurisprudence exam for our PT license. Like, yeah, I messed up a question that was, should have been really easy. I was like, but I mean, it was about something that not even relevant to my practice of physical therapy anyways. Um, you know, but I messed it up and he was like, because you shared that you messed up, it was really easy, made it easier for me to ask you a question. Great. You know, I'm not infallible. And I think that's yeah. one of the things that we think as leaders, we have to be infallible. And I think that's where I encountered a lot of resistance in uh, when I was at PT school. I remember I was an adult going back to PT and had questions. And I think my professors couldn't handle not having all the answers or not being right all the time when I questioned, you know, whether whether they were right or not. Yeah. You know? So I think that's that it's not unique to PT. It's uh, it's a human condition. I agree. I think humility is such an important thing, especially in leadership to be able to have. Yeah. And yeah, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions before we wrap mm-hmm. up, but what, what was something that you had wish you had learned sooner in your career that like, once you had that kind of aha moment, that light switch moment that really has helped and propel you throughout your career. Do you have anything that comes to mind with that? Yeah. Uh, clinically, um, the SFMA, uh, the okay. selective functional movement assessment through like, uh, functionalmovement.com, Gray Cook and um, Kyle Kiesel and Brett Jones. Like that clinically helped me put together a lot of the modalities and things and and tests, special tests I learned in school that like by themselves didn't make sense. But through that, like once I finally learned that, I was like, oh, this all makes sense. And it took me to another level clinically. Um, Business-wise, the aha moment came after I hired my first employee um, I think five years too late, <laughs> like she bought me back. She immediately bought me back, uh, 10 hours in a week. You know, Dang. I thought it was going to be expensive, but basically the 10 hours that I got back more than paid for, uh, the cost or the expense of having an employee. And so what does that tell me? It told me that my time is valuable and that I need to value my time over, um, anything else. So my, my time Time is fleeting. Time, time is never going to like replenish itself. We only have a finite amount of time on earth and we don't know actually how much time we have. Um, money comes and goes. I'm, if I, especially if I have a job, I'm going to get money next week. If I don't have a job, well, it's up to me to go make more money or find more money. Uh, and I can go spend it as fast as I want and I can go get more. 
can leverage credit cards and get money, but it's, I'm going to spend it, um, mm -hmm. but I can go get more, you know, uh, but time is the most valuable asset. And so it's the time we spend with our family, with our patients, with ourselves, we shouldn't, especially as business owners, we shouldn't be doing uh, $15 an hour work. Um, if we're the business owner, unless, you know, cause if I'm doing $15 an hour work, then I'm not a business owner. I have a job. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's, if I can do something, if there's, if there's a task and let's say I can go treat a patient for $200 an hour, but there's a task that I can pay someone else $50 an hour to do, I should pay someone else to do that. Yeah. Now the weird thing is, is we come to physical therapy and say, Hey, I can get paid $50 an hour to work at the hospital. Maybe I can make uh, 80 to hundred doing home health. And if I'm charging 200 or I can enroll a new patient to a $2,000 plan of care, why am I going to go treat? patients that I can pay someone else 50 to a hundred dollars for. Okay. Um, so a hundred dollars isn't really the number that you can pay a physical therapist in a private practice, but I'm just using that mm -hmm. as a top figure. Yeah. Um, so I should be hiring other people because the only way for me to go, let's say to PPS or CSM and not lose income, uh, is to hire a team and leverage, uh, software. And, um, that's one of the hardest things for people to understand in business. You can build a job and that's the first stage, but stage two is leveraging a uh, team so that you're not trading time for money. You're generating money and income and you're, which means you're helping people um, because the more, uh, the bigger problems you can help uh, people solve, the more money you can command. And uh, if you can leverage your time, then you can make an unlimited amount of money. Yeah, no, I think that that was spot on. Thank you for sharing those things. I think those are yep. both on the like the physical therapy. I want to like go back and look into that in that course and try to learn more about that because I always wanted to improve my skills and also on the business side of it. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, and just Absolutely. as we were, yeah, thank you. Um, and as we wrap up, is there any other additional information or advice you'd like to share? And then also, um, if someone's interested in talking with you, what is the best way to contact you? Yeah, the, the best way to get in touch with me is um, go find me on Instagram at Aaron LeBauer follow me and, you know, check out some of the posts and stories. And if something inspires you, uh, send me a message. Um, the links over there to my podcast and, and free book and all that stuff are there in Instagram. Um, but if there's anything else that I have, uh, to share, it would be, um, decide what you want. What do you want for yourself, your career and your family? And if you can figure that out, um, you just need to go figure out how, who's going to help you get there the fastest. Because um, I can't help you uh, heal your back or fix your business if you don't have a desired outcome and you don't know why you're going to get up and do the hard work every day. But once you do, then it's up to you to go figure out what's the fastest way to get there. And the fastest way to become a physical therapist is go to PT school. These days, there's a two, there's some two-year programs. The fastest way to have a successful business is go find a uh, business coach and mentor, uh, a system that's going to help you get there. Um, and you know, I mean, I think it's the, the, the systems information is there. It's the implementation, but you're never going to implement if you don't know why, or you want, why, what you don't know what you want and why you want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you have that why behind everything, that's like a very motivating driving factor for that. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron. Like that was really insightful. And I'm really grateful to be able to learn more about the cash side of PT um, I hope everyone on the podcast is able to like follow for sure on Instagram. He has a lot of great content on there um, to be able to continue to learn. And I, the podcast as well are great resources as well. So I, I encourage everybody to check those out as well. But yeah, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, JT, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to be on the show. 
thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks everybody and we'll see you next time.